And we are back, as always, uh, on Saturday nights, 10 to midnight, talking the paranormal. You think I would have had something ready to say there. Uh, but tonight we're going to be talking about UFOs and owls. What's the weird connection between them? Believe it or not, it's it's more than you think. So we're going to get into that tonight with our guest Mike Clellan coming up a little bit later on. We're also going to get weird with our paranormal news correspondent, Melody Knapp. And we're going to talk about a story that we haven't really covered on this show in, oh, about 11 years. But it's making the rounds of the Internet today, so we're going to make sure we bring it up and share it with you. Here on episode uh, 488 of Spooky South Coast, it starts right now. Here, along with the asylum assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and Stephanie Burke, we are here to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And as I mentioned tonight, we'll be talking about UFOs and owls, the connection between the two, with our guest Mike Cleland a little bit later on. Moniz, I know he's a, a friend of yours, somebody you've been working with for a long time. Yeah, I've known him for at least five years. And you've been trying to, to get him on the show, and finally we're able to do it. So that's, yep. uh, listen, I know that you think that. Uh, We've had conversations before about certain people in this room and abductions and all that kind of stuff. And uh, let's just leave personal stories out of it for tonight. So I don't, I don't want you looking at me and being like, "Oh, that sounds like the story you told me," because I don't, I don't even want to think about it. Just say I'm not involved in this, so I'm going to sit in my corner. You will and hang in, out in the middle of it. Something's going to pop in your head and you're like, "Stop it oh right now! God. Go away!" <laughs> and you kind of live in the woods, so you know there's a lot of owls out where you live. I've seen one. One owl in six years. There's one that lives out in the tree in front of my house. Really? You know, that big tree on top mm-hmm. of the hill? There's an owl that lives in there. And we hear them quite often. I hear them. Like, even, even during the day. I don't see them. I only saw one one time, and it was gigantic he's, and he's, flying toward me. Yeah, this me. one's a big bastard, too. And um, it scared the crap out of me because it was dark out. I thought it was a red-tailed hawk, and it just was floating all nice and landed right in the tree in front of me and stared at me. And what's funny about the one that we have is that he's big, but he's, like, not even a barn owl, you know? He's, like, not even one of the really big breeds of owl. He's just a large, regular owl. So that's why I love to go to, uh, if you've ever been to the uh, the Blue Hills Zoo that they have there, they have quite a number of owls that they, they have there, and they, they take them out for a show where you can actually touch the animals, and they give you owl pellets to pull apart and see what's inside. You ever done that, Stephanie? No, probably not. No. You know what that is? So you basically take an owl poop and you it's pull it apart and you see all the like the mouse bones inside of it. Okay. Usually that comes from regurgitation. They puke it up. Speaking uh, of mice. Well, wherever it comes from, it's still gross. I found, well, I used to find dead mice in my yard all the time and I assumed it was from an owl, but. Um, <laughs> it turns out it's just your husband. No, no, actually. Um, you, like, just they would have bullet holes or bites the head off and throws them in the grass for you to find later. Um, on my way here, I just had to break for a mouse. You you braked for a mouse. I did. I, I don't even know if I would see one running yeah, across really. the street. Good eyes. I but I can't see far away, so I thought it was just weird. I started slowing down, and a mouse ran across the street. So I don't really know how often that happens to other people, but it happened to me. Well, good that you stopped because uh, we've we've had conversations before after you've hit something, 
So I know, I know. I know how it goes for you. Well, no, like the thing I hit when. Right, yeah, when you hit it, it, it <laughs> you pretty much blew it all up. It was like a deer exploded. So uh, before we get into the week and weird with Melody in just a minute, I, I just want to cover this really quickly. There's this website called OnlyInYourState.com, and I'm sure a lot of folks have seen stuff pop up. And it's it's not just paranormal stuff. It's uh, all kinds of weird things or interesting things. You know, they'll talk about, like, some of the best places to have a wedding. They'll talk about some of the craziest food dishes that you can find in your state. You know, so it's it's just a website where they try to find unique things about each state, and then they share them, and these videos go viral and everything. So we've dealt with it a few times here on the show because they put out some, you know, onlyinyourstate.com loves to do haunted places. They love to do like the 15 most haunted places in your state. And a little while ago, they had a story that they called the most haunted street in Massachusetts. And they were talking about, um, I don't even remember what street it was, but it was whatever. So now they've come out with a new one, like, wait a minute, no, 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 we found a way more haunted street than that one. And so now they've released this up. And so people start tagging me in this story like crazy yesterday on I Facebook and sharing it on Twitter. And I'm like, what? what's going on? And I click on it, and it's just a Google Images picture. And I'm like, huh. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't really tell what that is. So I zoom in a little bit, and I, oh, Wolf Island Road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, then. And anybody that's been listening to Spooky South Coast since the beginning, 11 years ago, you know that Wolf Island Road is someplace that we talked right. about a lot in the past not so much as of late and that's kind of because the neighbors don't like it when you go in there and you start looking through the ellis bull cemetery or you start driving down the road at night and so now this is only going to get worse for them now because now the story has gone it's everywhere so people were all saying tonight like we're going to drive down there tonight we're going to go let's all go let's go legend tripping tonight don't don't because yeah. it's i'm not sure the official designation of it if it's a private road or not but it's a dirt road so there's a good chance that it is private. I don't know if it's a legal, like, you know, public way. Uh, but the the bottom line is they don't want you going down the road. There's no reason for people to go down that road unless they live on live that it, road. Yeah, absolutely. They call the cops. All the, all all the neighbors the, do. All the people that live there yeah. will not hesitate to call the police. When we went there 11 years ago, we had called the head to the police yeah. and let them know that we were going. And I had actually reached out to the cemetery caretaker. And I'd asked uh, for the entire town, and I'd asked if it was okay if we went. And the response that I got was, I don't care. (laughs) So we just thought to play it safe. We'd call the police, too, and let them know. And they did drive by. They did. They came down while we were there because the neighbors still called anyway. And so if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, I think has it, because I put it up as a Spooky South Coast blog on WBSM.com and Fun107.com, and I think that feeds into the website, right, Mike? Matt, so you can you can go right on to the website there and see it. Uh, but we have a story up there about the time that we went and investigated the Ellis Bowl Cemetery on Wolf Island Road. And this was a, a funny story because it was the first time that I ever caught an EVP. And, Moniz, you had shown up in your own car, yep. and Matt and I had gone together. <clears throat> And we had three different recorders. Mm-hmm. We had one digital and two analog, right? Or one analog like and two, two digital. digital. I don't yeah. remember. But, you know, so we, we show up with these recorders, and we're walking around the cemetery, and we had seen a grave, Matsard, I believe, that had a weird marking on it. Yep. And he asked you, what is this marking on there? And this this is actually the EVP that I didn't even put into the story. I forgot about this one. We could have put this one in there, too. But... 
he asks what the symbol is, and you said it's a Masonic symbol. I said Freemason, and then you hear... And then yeah. the voice underneath says Freemason. Yeah. So I didn't even think to grab that one, but I did grab the other one that we caught that night. And because it's been so long since we originally posted on the Internet, all the links were dead. So I had to go back into our podcast file and find the original... Uh, the original EVP, but I made a YouTube video out of it because at the station, you know, they want all of our audio clips to be YouTube videos. So I made a YouTube video out of it and I put it into the story. So just for those of you who are new to the show and you haven't heard it, let me just make sure that I don't have anything else running here in the background. All right. So I'm going to just play this clip for you really fast. That was weird. So what you hear is, because what had happened was you guys were talking about the Freemason grave yep. over to my my left from where I was standing. And I saw this really weird, uh, this really weird, uh, hold on, I'll play that again in a second. I saw this really weird marking on a grave that when I took a picture of it and the flash went off on the camera, it had like this weird design. that was just, you know, the pitting on the stone, the way that the flash yep. reflected off of it. It looked interesting. And so I look at it and I was like, oh, that was weird. And then you hear a voice underneath it say, either weird or we're here. So I'll play that one more time. That was weird. And we actually sent that out, and we had it analyzed yeah. by people. Because at the time, you know, there was we didn't really know what we were doing with a lot of the, the breakdown and analysis of stuff. So we put it out there for anybody to download and do whatever they wanted with. And a bunch of people came back with different results. Some people would slow it right, down. Is, is it working? Am I on? Oh, Can you hear me? That's me talking on an old episode. <laughs> Just whatever is next in the YouTube book. So the so we <laughs> that was kind of yeah, that was kind of weird. Sounds just like me. So, but we were we were sending it out, and people were coming back and saying it said we are here. Somebody came back and said that it said Marion, which is interesting because you're one town over from Marion, but it's also somebody's name. Um, and I believe we actually went back to the cemetery and we found a Marion yeah. in the cemetery. So, uh, right next to right next to that grave. What like two two graves? Over? I don't know the story. Like it's in the blog. I basically just copied and pasted yeah. out of my book and stuck it onto the blog. I didn't read it. The Freemason one is the one that really got me though. Yeah, I'll have to go back and put that into the story tomorrow because that was on three separate recorders. And the funniest part is, the furthest away was the one that caught it the best. The, so. Yeah, the, the, it's it was definitely an interesting experience, an interesting night. We've never gone back. So, yeah, well, we have. No, I don't think so. I don't think we've gone I back have. to invest. I've gone back during the day, but I don't think I've ever gone back, like, poking around. But don't do it. Don't do it tonight. I have done it during the day, after dark. Um, I think my weirdest experiences were probably after dark. But none of what you guys experienced. Mine was totally different. Well, you want to share? Mm-hmm. I guess. Um, I uh, I went, I can't even tell you how many times I've been because of people that, um, you know, you're in high school, that the big thing is Wolf Island Road, let's go down and let's see what's going to happen. And all of the different urban legends that are um, attached to the cemetery, um, most are not true. And No, I don't think any of them are. I don't think any of them are. I don't really think there's much going on there besides a graveyard. But um, I had decided like i had enough i wanted nothing to do with hanging out in the complete dark because there's no street lights or anything like that and i started driving away and um we had taken my car and i got everybody back in the car 
and I started driving down the road, and it looked like there was something that was running along the side of my car, like a black shadow. And the more that I sped up, it kept up with my car, and it kept running. And to the point where I just had to drive with my hand on the left side of my face because I could completely see it. Which is dangerous on that road. Right, absolutely. So that that's what freaked me out even more, well, is you can't see anything to begin with, but listen, I could see that. A lot of these stories, a lot of these legends, they pop up to be cautionary tales. Right. They pop up because they won't. They don't want people... To be speeding down that road. So you tell a story about a phantom Ford Mustang that went speeding down that road and slammed into the tree and everybody died. I was driving a Mustang at the time. And anybody that's been down that road and come in from the side that we came in on, um, as if you were coming from, uh, I guess, Mattapoise Center. Correct. So if you're coming in from that side, as you go down the road, right before you get to the cemetery, there's a tree that's kind of in the middle of the road. Mm -hmm. Like you have to swerve to get around it. So... I can understand where that story can pop up and, and where it can come from because you want people to be cautious when they go down that road. But it's you know mostly urban legend, as we said, but it still was a pretty cool place to check out. And, again, don't go down there without permission. That's all I can say. All right. Well, now let's. I think it's time to get a little bit weird. Let's bring uh, Melody in here. Uh, Melody, you're with us, right? Oh, hang on. Let me let me actually pot you up there. All right, yeah. you still with us? You didn't hang up during our during our story. Nope. Can you hear me? Oh, we can hear you. All right, ready? We're gonna play your fancy play your fancy intro now. Yay! No wait. No, Just kidding. Me... I can sing it if you want. All right, here it comes. Here it comes. Spooky South Coast presents the Week and Weird. With paranormal news correspondent Melody Knapp. All right, guys. So, as you, some of you might have seen in the chat, I just wanted to quickly talk about um, the direction that our segment Week and Weird is going to be going. Uh, basically, we want to be super interactive with you guys and kind of, you know, get your opinions and comments and things like that. So, throughout the week, I am going to be posting on the Spooky South Coast. Facebook page, different articles. Um, it will be labeled Week and Weird. So you know which one it is. And pretty much what we want you to do is we want you to comment and talk and engage in what's going on. And then when we do the show on Saturdays, I am going to read the best comments um, and things like that. So without further ado, let's get to this week's stories, which I am going to start off with the lovely Daily Mail based out of the U.K., um, which I'm sure Tim and Stephanie and that will have wonderful opinions on. Um, so, while an estimated three-quarters of the U.S. and U.K. populations believe in ghosts, Brian Cox, the popular U.K. TV professor, believes he has proof that ghosts do not exist. Um, professor Cox has pointed to the Large Hadron Collider, the world's most powerful particle accelerator, uh, to explain why specters and phantoms are the stuff of fiction. He said experiments carried out... Oh, excuse me. Experiments carried out um, the LH... LHC in Geneva, Switzerland, proved that the existence of the paranormal is inconceivable. He said, I would say if there's some kind of substance that's driving our bodies, making my arms move and legs move, then it must interact with the particles out of which our bodies are made. And seeing as we've made high-precision measurements of the ways that particles interact, then my assertion is there can be no such thing as an energy source that's driving our bodies. <laughs> So, I mean, I guess that makes sense, though, because you're talking about, you know, a soul, essentially. 
Is he saying that, you know, if there is that energy that makes up a soul, we're not seeing that energy interact with anything outside the body, which you would think that it makes sense, right? Because if, if, if the soul was a physical thing, it would have to be made out of some kind of matter, and that matter would have to interact with other particles of matter. Absolutely. But this actually bleeds right into the next article uh, from AOL which is Bernard Carr, a professor of mathematics and astronomy at the Queen Mary University of London, believes the paranormal exists in a different dimension that interacts with the consciousness of the living. Other scientists, including Albert Einstein, believe there are more dimensions than we realize, but Carr believes that there's an even extra dimension. Humans are just the bottom of the pyramid in terms of consciousness because they have physical bodies. He believes these paranormal entities we encounter exist only as mental beings, and that's why they don't relate to our understanding of physics. So, I mean, like, there's definitely, I, like, I can see where the first one's coming from, but it, it, I'm leaning more towards cars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there has to be another dimension that's causing causing the mis, uh, miscommunication, right. I guess you could say. <laughs> I mean, I've been saying that for, for the last couple of years for sure, that, and Moniz and I, we've argued about this in the past quite a bit, but like, I, I don't think that ghosts are necessarily a physical thing. That's why physics, as we know it, won't won't be able to prove or accept their existence because it doesn't exist in the realm exactly. of what's physical. <laughs> exactly. Tim, you and I are on the same page. With but that. I don't. I don't go as far as Carr to say it's another dimension necessarily. I mean, I I think that it's it's an emotional thing. I think a, a ghost is an emotion, and that's why. Uh, you know, we can't quantify it because you can't quantify love, you can't quantify hate, but you still feel them and you still know when they're there. And so that's why I've always kind of felt that way about it. You know, I I, I almost want to say it's a dimension, but the, the way I view the paranormal is you guys know how light it bets, right? Mm-hmm. What's in between those bets? You know what I mean? Just because we can't see it, like, like, like I wouldn't go as far as saying it's like a dimension, but it's definitely something not able to be viewed. Just like how light bends, like there, what's in between, you know, the bends, like in between the waves, I guess you could say. What's interesting about um, it being a, di- a dimension, though, if, if Carr is right, is that maybe it's a dimension that eventually we can reach and we can travel in and yeah. out of ourselves. Which, that would be pretty cool. I don't know. Once I mean, upon like, a time, I guess that's the direction we're all going. Is once we're upon a time, to communicate and get in touch with whatever it is. So there, were, there was a TV yeah. show called Ghost Stalkers that was originally supposed to be exploring that, but then then things get changed up when it goes to the network. Of course. I don't know. I don't know anything about hmm. that. Though. Weird. <laughs> all right. What else do you have for us? Uh, hit close to home, close to home. All right, guys, so we are going to end this with something that truly excites me in every way possible. Um, article by USA Today, which is scientists have discovered seven Earth-sized planets, each potentially capable of hosting liquid water and, therefore, life. <laughs> in orbit around a nearby star. These rocky planets are some 40 light-years away, so, you know, just a quick quick walk from our sun. And the Hubble Space Telescope and other observatories should be able to get a closer look to try to pick out chemical signs of any living organisms if there are. Three of them could be just the right distance from the host star, called Trappist-1, to have oceans and atmospheres. 
Five of the seven are almost exactly the width of the Earth, while the other two are just slightly smaller. And researchers say with luck, they'll know in a decade whether there are signs of life near the wonderful Trappist one. Here we go, guys. Dun, 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 dun. Well, I mean, Mo, this kind of lends to what we're going to be talking about tonight with UFOs and other civilizations. But Moniz, this is the best sign that we've had of extra of the possibility of extraterrestrial life in, in forever. Well. They've discovered hundreds and hundreds of what they call exoplanets over the past 20 years. Right, but the difference with this is that these are... This is a vast number of them all around. What what do they call it? The Goldilocks zone, where everything is just right for for life to exist. It's perfect to have liquid water be present on on the surface. And what's funny is, uh, you know, looking at the story, um, I'd have to look at the original story instead of these, these notes here, but... The original story suggested there's more than one planet that's in that Goldilocks right. zone. There's so, seven. That, as opposed to our solar system where there's one. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that there's, I, I guess you could say, you know, Mars and, and even to some degree... Um, Venus. Venus have the... They're, they're in close proximity to that perfect zone. But this year, there, there's... Like, no, both of them are, are on each edge of it. We're right smack in the middle, but yeah. So, I mean, this is in the fa- in 40 light years. I know that that sounds like that's next door. Yeah, that I mean, sounds like a, terms, that's next it door. sounds like a huge difference, but it's not that far away. It, it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could we could reach it someday. Yeah, it's definitely achievable. No thanks. So, Moni, just really quickly, a light year is distance light travels in a year. So, uh, the exact number is 186,000 uh, miles per second, you can do the math if you want. It's a it's a big number. It's far. Yeah. So it's yeah. a little bit more than the average person commutes from here to Boston. Yeah. Over forty Just a years. Bit. So all right. All right. But it is reachable. Melody, we're going to volunteer you to go and check it out. Report back to I'll us what it. you find. All right. All right. I love this. As you said, you'll be you'll be posting stories all week. People should check those out on our social media, on the Facebook page, on the Twitter page. They're both linked up together. At Spooky talk SC. To me, and, talk to me, talk to me, baby. And then we want we want people to both, you know, listen, it's great if you have insights and stuff to add, but we also love the smart-ass comments, too. So we'll read a mixture of both. Yeah. So, uh, you know, feel free to make smart-ass comments as much as you do insightful observations. All right, well, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. Well, no, not thank next week. Guys. Not next I'll, week, I'll two weeks. <laughs> no, we'll be, we'll, well, we won't be here next week. Oh no! We have an event, so we'll, we're going to have a recording oh, show. Oh yeah, forgot about that. Well, good luck with the event, guys. Thanks. All right, take care. Okay, bye. That is paranormal news correspondent Melody Knapp with the week and weird. And again, as she said, you know she's going to be posting those stories up, and Matt and Chris post stories up. There's stuff up there all week long, so just keep commenting on it. And Melody's going to mind the best of them, and she'll bring them to the discussion next time we do the week and weird. So definitely some interesting stories this week. You know the possibility of. Extra terrestrial life and the possibility of, you know, something existing beyond our plane of existence. So that's what I like about these stories. We've gone beyond just the regular ghost hunt stories that we used to have in the news feeds all the time. And, and no more do they start with, well, everybody knows that ghosts don't exist, but they don't, don't tell this paranormal group out of, you know, backwards Ohio. My God. That's usually how they start. It's a great impression. It was awesome. All right. Well, we will be, we'll be uh, hooking up in just a moment with our guest for tonight, Mike Cleland. Uh, we'll be talking about UFOs, and we'll be talking about UFOs in connection to owls. 
And we also want people to call in. Maybe you've had an experience like this. Maybe you've had a connection between a UFO and an owl. Maybe you've seen owls all the time. I mean, Stephanie, you deal with this, I know, in some of the stuff that you've talked with people where they see signs all the time of things in their lives. Right. And it, and it has a connection. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that owls have that connection, too. You know, I'd like to think that owls are just really cool creatures. And you'll, you'll change your mind by the end of the night. I really hope I don't because it's really scary. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm terrified of aliens. What I find interesting is we're following this up after Mothman. Now, the original Mothman reports were of like a large owl type mm-hmm. of creature and being connected to paranormal activity. And there are other owl creatures seen, too. Over in England, they have like yes. the Owl Man. So I'm, I'm sure some of that will come into the discussion tonight as well. If you have any questions during our discussion with Mike Cloland, you can call in 508 996-0500-877-996-1420 are the numbers to call in. You can also tweet them to us using the hashtag SpookyLive. And you can also join in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com and on our YouTube page and also on our free Spooky South Coast app, which is the best way to get all the Spooky South Coast content, is to just go right and download our free app for iPhones, for Android, for... I think you can put it on... a. On a kid's leap pad now? Can you? No. I'm, I'm exaggerating. So? I'm exaggerating. If 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 <laughs> if anybody ever saw Spooky South Coast on a on a child's toy, they would be like, No, no, give me that. Give that to mama. <laughs> give that to mama. We have to throw that away. You you it's can't talk that you bad. can't talk to those weird people. All right, well, uh, joining us right now on the line, Mike Cloland is an avid outdoorsman, illustrator, and UFO researcher. He has written extensively on the subject of alien abductions, synchronicities, and owls. It was his first-hand experiences with these elusive events that have led to the foundation for his research. His website, Hidden Experience, explores these events and their connections to the alien contact phenomenon. This site also features over 200 hours of audio interviews with visionaries and experts examining the complexities of the overall UFO experience. And he joins us on the line right now. Good evening, Mike. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Hello. How are you? Very good. How are you? Oh, we are spooktacular, as we say here. Thank you for joining us. I'm glad we could finally get you on. Yeah, it's good to be here. So I'm looking at, at, at your website, and uh, especially at, at hiddenexperience.blogspot.com, which Matt Cost is going to have the websites up there for people to check out on Spooky TV throughout the discussion. But as I'm looking at this, you, you give a great timeline of all of your experiences as, as it relates to your research. But as I'm looking over this, I don't see the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your life listed on here, and that would be the day that you met my co-host, Matt Moniz. <laughs> That is uh, is not listed on there for obvious reasons. I think that would just give up. Uh, I you know my credibility would become it would be in jeopardy. <laughs> uh, so, but it seems like this has been something been a topic. Uh, you know, just general weirdness overall has been something that you've been interested in throughout your entire life. Well, I'm not sure. General, I mean, I was the perfect age kid to watch. Uh, you know, in search of with Leonard Nimoy and and that kind of thing, and and Colshack uh, the Night Stalker and that kind. Of, you know, so I was. Uh, so that type of weirdness. I mean, I I wasn't the only weird kid in in junior high school. I guess so, <laughs> put it that way. So, but I mean, I guess that there's. It's probably easier for kids that are growing up now to delve into some of these topics because it's all over television. But as you mentioned, you know, in those days. It was kind of in search of was what everybody went to to learn about this. And then we've talked in the past amongst ourselves about we were always the kids that would, you know, run to the 100s of the Dewey Decimal System and find all those weird books on all these 
all these topics. It was for you though. It was just something that was more of a, of an interest, more than something that was kind of calling you from within. Well, you know, I was it took a strong interest, I guess. You know, like I always, it was kind of on the back shelf um, for you know decades, really, until I, um, you know, I picked up a UFO book as an adult. I must have been thirty or so, and and uh, it was a little unsettling because there was a lot of things in there that I had experienced directly. Um, Missing time and, and, you know, a fairly close up UFO sighting, I guess, you know, so it seemed close and, you know, it's hard to know if it was a big craft, it would have been far away. If it was a little craft, it would have been quite close, but it seemed pretty close. Um, and those happened in my youth. And so by, you know, when I was 30, I, probably 29, 30, um, yeah, like, you know, all that changed when, with, as far as starting to do my own, research in a way and the research was into myself and and that's less so at 30 and more more you know a few years later when when uh some other events took place but you know initially i started reading ufo books and that became a little compulsive around 30 i'm 54 now so but when that happens i mean it, it becomes something that you start to make these connections and realize like hey wait a minute this sounds like what happened to me was it was it that type of an experience for you Yes, and then along with that comes like a, you know the power of denial, like you know you know and you know like these stories. Basically, I had a missing time event when I was twelve years old, and was with associated bright light, and um, you know like I could tell that story around a campfire or a dinner party kind of thing, and you know kind of just you know golly, isn't that interesting? And I never took the next step to say you know what are the implications, um, and I would deny those implications. They were right there. I mean, no longer can deny them at this point, but I sure could then. So, but uh, uh, so yeah. So that that was that was, um, you know, you know, the, it, it reminded me of myself. At the same time, I wasn't going to go there. I shut it down. But between twelve years old and between you know being thirty and, and reading UFO books, you had an inkling though that that missing time event that happened to you might be related to this topic, or or. Because when you say, you know, you, were, you weren't really looking uh, to let that be the explanation, you were at least acutely aware of the possibility that other people had experienced similar phenomenon and it had been tied into UFO events. Absolutely. I took it very seriously, other people's claims, and I denied my own. And when you say, you know, it made for a good campfire story, that means that you were at least willing to share it with, the, with people, though. Totally open about it. Yeah, I would tell people I saw UFO and, and say, and you know, and I would read UFO books and say, like, well, you know, I trust these people's testimonies because I have my own testimony of seeing you know, a UFO. And this would have been, this is, the sighting isn't all that exciting. Uh, this, I would have been 12 years old. I grew up in suburban Michigan. I was at a friend's house and looking out a bedroom window on a weekend night. It was sleepover at his house. I couldn't have been that late because his parents were still up. His mom was still up. And um, and I remember, I can't remember if it was him or me that said, hey, look. And we watched for the next 30 seconds or so this very distinct, rather close-up uh, craft of some sort, sort of coffee can-shaped, uh, descending in the nighttime sky. Uh, and it, it, um, it eventually... Uh, uh, you know, what I used to say is that the lights turned off. And I no longer say that. I say it disappeared. And, and I just say that because I've read enough. Uh, you know, that I always knew that it disappeared, but I was shy of saying that it just blinked, vanished, gone. Um, and that's what happened after about 30 seconds. Um, what we both did is ran downstairs 
to his kitchen table, and there were paper and pencils that we'd been drawing earlier in the day, and we both drew what we had seen. Now, I don't have his, his name was Kenny, and I don't have his drawing, but I certainly have mine still after 40-plus years. And it, um, and, and it's interesting to have, like, a drawing that was done within minutes of, of seeing the, the, the craft itself. And and but that wasn't the same. Was that the same incident of when you had missing time, or was that a, a separate experience? That was a separate event, and the missing time event happened uh, in uh, that. I can that I can pinpoint quite accurately. It would have been the autumn of of 1974 because there was a television show which I mentioned earlier. Curious, it was Shack the Night Stalker, mm-hmm. and there was a um, high school football game. And that high school football game, uh, it would have been in autumn. And I, while walking home from the football game with a friend, we um, got to a certain point on the sidewalk. I could draw an X on the sidewalk exactly where it was. And there was this weird orange flash in the sky. It felt like God lit up the entire sky, this eerie electric orange, for one second, and then clicked clicked it right off. So, so it was just, you know, calm lovely autumn night being orange being back to the calm lovely autumn night and um and then when we got home so there was no craft to see that night but it was a very unusual thing that i've never seen before since and both of us in the moment were, were just like what just happened i mean even as 12 year old boys we kind of went through the checklist you know is this a meteorite is this a lightning is this did something explode over the, the horizon did a uh, power line explode um and none of that seemed to, to make sense. It was absolutely silent. And when I got home, my parents were angry at me for being out so late. I should have been home in time to see Kolshak the Night Stalker, which would have started at 10 o'clock. And instead, I was home at um, 11.30. So it's between an hour and a half. It's hard to know what exactly, because I can't remember exactly when I left the football game. But it would have been between an hour and a half to two hours of missing time. And, you know, being... Being a young teenager is pretty hard to explain. Like, I don't know what happened. The time, I don't know what happened. It just disappeared. Sure. What I kind was of, baffled. You know? Yeah, my parents were angry, and I was baffled. I had absolutely no excuse. And I was just like, nope, it doesn't make any sense. I left the football game at this time, and it should not be 1130. But other than that, you had no recollection of the experience, just the light, and then the time was gone. I didn't even factor it in. And this was, you know, a decade before Bud Hopkins published Missing, Missing Times. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, had, I would never even cross my mind that there was anything paranormal about it. The next Monday at school, the other fellow, I mean, we were just a bunch of 12-year-old, 12-year-old kids in junior high school, and I do remember this quite clearly, um, in the cafeteria, uh, all sitting together, and I said something to the effect of, um, this weird thing happened on Friday night, walking home from the football game, and my friend just blurted out, yeah, we saw a UFO with lights and everything. Wow. And I, I, my initial and, and my straight initial reaction was, this is how stories get blown out of proportion. He's making this up. I never saw a UFO. He's making this up. And um, I never have brought it up to him since. So even though I mean, it was just two different experiences for the both of you, but the, the same result. Seemingly, yeah, seemingly if his, if his memory is accurate. Yeah, I mean, if, if that was, yeah, so that's my sense. I mean, my sense now is that I'm just I just and there's been a number of synchronicities associated with this event um, in the in the you know years since, and those synchronicities in a way have like confirmed it for me. 
um, that, that something powerful has happened. So now from being that 12-year-old, and, and obviously when you're 12 years old, it's hard to be able to uh, explain these weird things that are going on. Like you said, you know, your parents are mad because you're, you're getting home later than you're supposed to. But at what point do you start putting together in your mind that some of the stuff might be going on? Was it not till later when you did further research that you started to realize? It was not yet. I was in my early 30s when it, when it finally started happening. And I started reading, um, uh, well, in, so I started reading, uh, you know, I was compulsively reading UFO books, and that started around 30. And, and it wasn't until uh, 2006, and I would have been 44 years old at that point, that I, that it was, that I really, like, dropped, that I went from simply reading books and being a, a sort of a, a, a curious enthusiast to actually, um, like making the phone calls to to UFO researchers and saying, I think this may have happened to me, um, and that uh, and that was an event that didn't have anything to do with UFOs and had everything to do with owls. Well, uh, we'll we'll certainly get into that coming up. I just I want to just dig a little deeper, kind of into your psyche of the time. I'm I'm trying to just just figure out for myself if you weren't making the connections or and and maybe you haven't even dwelled on this, but was it more of a defense mechanism to not allow those thoughts to come in? Was it? Were you being defensive about it, or was it more just a matter of you know the the pieces hadn't been laid out before you yet? I was pretty defensive. Yeah, yeah. I was. If, if I had sat across from myself, you know, if I wasn't myself and had sat across from myself and heard someone else tell the exact stories that I was telling, I would roll my eyes and you know, like, dude, you're abducted, you know, and that would have been my my uh, my you know gut reaction. But I wasn't going to go there with myself. It just mm-hmm. seemed too outlandish to say it about myself. Um. And, uh, and so here's the one more event took place, and this would have been right after I started reading UFO books. Um, within a year of, I mean, basically the bookshelf went from, you know, normal books to only UFO books at about age 30. And um, and I was uh, living alone in Maine. I was up in, uh, in near Standish. Um, and uh, I was in this house alone, was out in the woods, and woke up in the middle of the night, and there was this bright light shining in the bedroom window. Now, the way the, the um, window and the bed were, the, you know, the bed was pushed right up against the window, so all I had to do was just sit up on my elbow, and I could look outside. And we had a motion sensor light on the, on the um, driveway. So just my thought was, like, is someone in the driveway? Did someone pull in? Why is this light shining in? Um, so I sit up on my elbows, and there's this bright, bright, bright light off in uh, the yard. And right up close to the window, walking towards the house, are five well-lit, clear-as-a-bell, guinea gray aliens with the big black eyes and the big bald head. Um, and the five of them were walking. I, I know that's my memory, is this, is this five. And they were walking towards the house, and there was this kind of, um, it was this kind of eerie calm that, that had taken over at that point. And I heard a voice in my head that said, now is the time. No, but the voice in my head said, oh, yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. And that's exactly what I did. I just laid my head on the pillow and poof, I was out. Um, I was witnessing something that should have been uh, terrifying. And I should have um, 
run outside, you know, or lock the doors or get grabbed a baseball bat or try to defend myself or freaked out. I didn't. I calmly laid my head on the pillow and went right back to sleep. Hmm. I mean, that's, I guess that's the moment where you really can't turn away from it anymore is when you see that. It's either a matter well, of... Well, I managed to, yeah. The next morning, and I just dismissed it as a vivid dream. Um, it was like no other dream I've ever had, obviously. It was clear and distinct and not dream-like at all. Um, it had a sheen of, like, unreality to it, I'll tell you that. But it, in, and in that sense, it was dream-like. But um, presently, I'm convinced it was a real event. Uh, at the time, I denied it completely, and I never even bothered to go out and see if there were footprints in the snow. So then when you have something like that happen where you want – well, I mean, dismissing it as a dream, I guess, is is an easier way to cope. But for somebody who doesn't account to that, I mean, it, it could be a moment where somebody starts to question their sanity to say, okay, either these things are real or I'm losing my grip on reality. That 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 became that became I'm going to say between 2007 and 2010 that was my reality that's when I really struggled with exactly what you're talking about am I have I gone insane can these things possibly be true and in that era there was no UFOs to speak of what, what I was dealing with in, in that those years was an onslaught of synchronicities and every single synchronicity seemed to, once you pull on that little thread, seemed to be tied into uh, the, the UFO phenomenon. And I was acutely aware that these things were happening, these synchronicities. And that's when I started the blog in that in that mayhem. Um, and that was you can you don't have to read between the lines in the early postings that I was on edge. I was paranoid. I was freaked out. I was questioning myself and. Um, and yeah, yes. Yeah, so the, exactly what you're talking about didn't come till around the, between 2007 and 2010, maybe even 11 or 12. Those years. So even in that time, though, are you are you reaching out to anybody? Just have you know a sympathetic ear, somebody who's gone. I mean, obviously, you know, with Bud Hopkins' writings and with the Intruders Foundation, there must be uh, the ability to make connection with other people who have gone through the same thing. Are you seeking out any kind of help for? what you're going through just to see if other people have similar experiences, even just even just to satisfy curiosity more than anything. Well, that was exactly when I started reaching out to folks, yeah, in, in 2007. Um, are you there? Oh, yeah, we're here. Yeah. Okay, it just got real quiet for a second. Yeah, I was, that's exactly when I was reaching out to folks. I, was, I, I worked with, uh, I went to see Leo Sprinkle. I went to see Bud Hopkins. I um, went to start going to UFO conferences. So, yes, yeah, so that was very much the time. That um, that I was uh, doing exactly that, and these folks were taking me very seriously, and that was troubling. I was sort of hoping they would hear me out and kind of roll their eyes and say, "Listen, Mike, you know, don't you worry about that stuff. You're just blowing things out of proportion. Just move along. Nothing happened. Don't worry." Uh, that wasn't what happened. They took me very seriously, and and you know, and and I and I understood the gravity of what they they were, you know, that. Certainly seems to have taken place. And it's one thing if you can go to somebody like like a Bud Hopkins, for example, and say, you know, here's what I'm going through, and for him to be able to say, okay, well, listen, I hear a lot of that, and here's how we can explain some of that away, but I'm sure you're giving him stories and, and, and sharing experiences with him that he's saying, okay, that doesn't sound like something we can easily dismiss as something else. 
this seems like it's more in line with these other people that I'm dealing with who are becoming repeated abductees. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And they and they and they were all very gracious and very you know they were both researchers and uh, therapists in a way. I mean, obviously, Bud is not a licensed therapist. Leo certainly was or is, and um, but he had a very sympathetic and he was there to. Um, you know, on one level he was doing research, and on the other level he was very aware that that these experiences could be traumatic. And, and I was very shaken at that chapter. And it was around this time period in your life that you started to have the owl experiences. The first real powerful owl experience. Hey, just a heads up, I'm, um, I, uh, my partner Andrea and I run a little inn, and we're innkeepers. And we're up here near Lake Placid, and uh, I, I'm in a little office tucked on the second floor. Uh, the 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 Spanish snowshoe team is it, we just did an event today, and they came in I think in either second or third place in two different events. And um, so they're just about to walk up the stairs here. I can hear their car out in the driveway. So I don't know how rowdy they're going to be after their after their um, well, brand. So you may hear some people. In the background, speaking Spanish uh, very excitedly after it, their after their big win today. It sounds to me like it's well deserved. Not quite the Olympics, but um, the little uh, the little uh, snowshoe event that they had here. But um, so anyway, what you, so yes, I'll back to the, your question. Um, uh, in uh, 2006, I would have been 44 years old. In the autumn of 2006, I went camping. Uh, with a stranger, a complete stranger, really. Um, I was living near Grand Teton National Park at the time, and um, I had been doing a lot of camping, and, and uh, I met this woman, and she was working at the same place I was working, and I was like, hey, um, let's, you know, let's go out and camp for one night. Just, I do it all the time. I take a very little gear, and we just sleep out under the stars if the weather's nice, and you should come with me. And she said, yeah. So we went out, and that was uh, late in the afternoon, and we got in with very little gear on our backs, and the you know, high northern latitude, the sun stayed up late, and we walked way, way deep into the mountains and found this beautiful spot, and we were sitting on a big flat rock, and the sun was setting, and the moon was rising, and I was making dinner in a little camp stove, and um, she said something, and I remember thinking, like, wow, I mean, this was a stranger, I'm like, I remember thinking, this person is, I'm impressed, this person has a depth and an intelligence and a, and a kind of wisdom that I... I'm impressed, I didn't expect it, and I'm shocked. And at that moment, an owl flew over us. And then a second owl. And then a third owl. And for the next couple of hours, as the sun fully set, and as the stars came out, and it was beautiful, you know, we were up in the mountains, and clear skies, and a zillion stars, um, these owls came need to fly around us. They would land on tree branches near us. And it got to the point where, you know, we laid our sleeping bags down on the ground to sleep out under the stars. And as we laid there looking straight up, the, the, the stars would just be blotted out, poof, for just one second. And, and it was the owls. They were flying, swooping right down above our faces. And they would block out the stars. You know, they, they fly very silently. And, and it was so weird, you know, to realize these owls... And so the next morning, we were just like, that was the coolest thing ever, those owls, wow. And uh, we walked back to, into town, and, and um, you know, then I said, listen, I do this all the time. I go out camping. If I do it again, I'm going to give you a call. She said, great. 
So four days later, I called her. Her name is Kristen. I said, let's go out camping one more time. She said, let's do it. And we went out into a completely different part of the mountains, a little colder. And before um, climbing into the tent, which we took a tent this time, the weather was a little unsettled, um, I said, let's hike up to that hilltop where it's a little, um, we will generate some heat, right? So we're in this big, wide open, high elevation mountain environment. And there's this hilltop that was quite near where, where our uh, campsite was. And I said, let's just walk up there and then we'll, we'll warm up with a hike and then we'll come back down and we'll, we'll be, you know, we won't be as chilled, you know, climbing into, into the sleeping bags. She said, great. So we walk up the hill and we get to the top of this hill and watch the, just the sun tip over the horizon. And at that moment, an owl lands on a tree branch near us. And a second owl swoops around above us. And a third owl, like, lands on the ground so close to us. It was so close, like six feet away from where we were standing. It was, that's pretty unusual. Again? That's pretty unusual for an owl to be that close. That is very unusual. I've talked to a lot of owl biologists and specialists and raptor doctors and, you know, I mean, nobody. They basically say, oh, that doesn't happen. So, um, I mean, they can certainly follow you, and they might be in the trees near you, but they, they're they not going to, I mean, just what happened four days apart, two different parts of the mountain, and I'm, I'm absolutely convinced they're the same three owls. Uh, we, uh, you know, to have it happen once was pretty weird, you know, so, but have it happen twice within four days with the same person was absolutely mystical, and... Uh, and it really shook me up. I mean, I got so freaked out. I mean, it had this power to it. And um, and what I knew then, did not have the nerve to say it, and I say it now, um, was when I was when I was seeing those owls close up both nights. There was a voice in my head, a very clear knowing, that just stated this something to do with the ufos uh, oh i'm gonna hold yeah. you i'm gonna hold you right there again I'm, I'm gonna hold you right there because we're up against our news break and that i think is a perfect place to leave it well we'll take a break for the network news we'll come back on the other side and we'll pick up more of this discussion with our guest mike clellan and uh it's gonna be pretty tense news break waiting <laughs> uh but we also welcome folks to call in as well with their own uh, experiences as well 508-996-0500 mike we'll be right back with you in about three or four minutes great all right, and uh, we'll be right back with more Spooky South Coast in just a few. South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and Stephanie Burke. And we talk about the paranormal here each and every Saturday night. We broadcast live on WBSM, as well as on the WBSM.com website and the Radio Pop app. But, you know, that's stuff for the entire station. If you want to get all things spooky and all things spooky South Coast, you can go to SpookySouthCoast.com, and you can also download our free app for Android and iPhone, and you can get every past episode of the show, videos, our social media feed, news stories, 
You can join the show while it's live and jump in the chat room. All that right there, right in the power of your phone or whatever device you have in your hands. So just look for Spooky South Coast wherever you get your apps from. And what's good about that, too, is, you know, next week when we're not here, you can load up an old episode and watch it. Although we are going to try and have a, a pre-recorded show before it next Saturday night so that we'll still have something spooky for you. But, you know, if you want to fill the time, you can always just go and listen to some past episodes, including we've been mentioning Bud Hopkins. And if you go back uh, to some of our early episodes in the very beginning of the show, the first year, 2006, you'll find the episode that we did with Bud Hopkins, which was actually it was the last interview that he gave before he passed away, right, Matt? Uh, radio interview, he may have done one or two others. Because I remember at the time, you know, yeah. you would you would mentioned and said, you know, hey, listen, you know, Bud's not doing well, and yeah. you know, we have to book him soon because we might not have the chance. And so, uh, you know, I remember feeling that, you know, when we when we had him on, you know, pr- I I even remember feeling like the profound sense of, you know, well, if this could be the only chance we ever get to talk to him. So, and it turns out that was the case. Yeah. So. But uh, certainly go back and listen to that and, and hear about some of his great work. Matt knew him personally. Matt worked with him. Uh, Matt is also uh, somebody who has dealt with a number of abductee mm-hmm. cases in the past. So yeah. uh, if anybody ever has any issues in that regard, you can always reach out to him. And uh, you can reach out to him through uh, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Sometimes people don't want to call in and share. Sometimes it's very personal and they don't feel like it's something that they want the whole radio audience They don't to have to leave their name. Right, exactly. And uh, so, you know, if you, if you want a little bit more of a private way to reach out, then certainly you can email SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com and Matt will get it. But maybe you do want to just talk to somebody and share a story. You can do that tonight, 508-996-0500. It's also a great way to call in with any questions that you have for our guest, Mike Cullen, and we're going to get back into it with Mike. We left it a little bit on a cliffhanger there, Mike, uh, with uh, right before we went into the news break, but we were talking about how you have this experience uh, over consecutive visits out there with with these owls and that you've made the connection that they're connected to the ufo is what what made you come to that conclusion well the, the reason i came to that conclusion was was it was a, a a complete and total visceral knowing <laughs> i don't know how else to say it it was as if a voice in my head like boomed out you know with the with the uh, volume on 11 that said, when I was looking at these owls, it said, this has something to do with the UFOs. It was it was palpable. I felt it. I heard it. I sensed it. I knew it. And that was, you know, honestly, I was looking at these owls thinking, like, because I'd read plenty at that point on, on the phenomena, and I was thinking, are these screen memories? You know, is this, like, is this a projection? And I'm pretty darn convinced they were owls. They were little, they were, you know, all of, like, you know, 13, 14 inches tall, so they weren't, you know, uh, you know, a a gray alien in disguise. These were little cute owls. And um, they were doing owl things. They were flying around. They were landing on branches and, and such. So um, the, uh, but that was my sense. You know, I just, before the break, I told this account of, you know, camping two different times, each time seeing three owls. And, and, and in the moment, each time, you know, feeling that sense of knowing that has something to do. And that, uh, this just set me off on a, like I was, you know, like I just lost myself in the, in the, in the quest at that point. It was kind of angst ridden and sloppy and such like that. But I, like, I just, I heard Matt's voice. Hello, Matt. I just heard your voice in the background there. 
Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much how he does the show. He just kind of talks in the background. Yeah. We just ignore. Okay, him. so so yeah, so I um. Thing is, I, I didn't say I, anything. Pardon? I didn't say anything. So you you did you spoke about uh, Bud a little bit. Oh, oh yeah. He's mentioning. Oh, okay. See that? So, He's so yeah, far yeah, so in the in, and like you, I sought out Bud Hopkins and I did uh, a little bit of work with him, and and this was very close. Um, he was very frail at that point um, when I was working with him, and and um, and I did one hypnosis session with him, and really not that much emerged that I didn't already remember. Um, uh, but. Uh, uh, you know, I did have a chance to spend a lot of time with him and just sit and talk one-on-one with him and very, very sympathetic, sweet man. Um, so that was, yeah, so after that, that event with the owls, what basically happened was everyone I talked to, anyone who's had these type of experiences, anyone who does this kind of research, I would simply ask, you know, hey, have you had any odd experiences with owls? And it wasn't 100%, but it was enough that there's a very clear pattern. People would share these very weird stories uh, with owls associated with UFO contact. And um, little by little, I started, you know, I mean, I had those direct experiences myself, and so I started cataloging these things and then documenting them and, and, and putting some of them up on my blog and then, you know, keeping files on it. And this all eventually turned into a, a kind of a big book which was published a little bit over a year ago in December of 2015, um, The Messengers. And that was, that's a book, the subtitle is Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee. And it takes about 400 pages to make my case, but I try to, try to argue, uh, that the UFO contact experience is somehow, somehow has an interrelationship with owls. And not just the screen memory. I'm talking real owls. People are reporting real owls in the context of their of their contact experiences. Well, you mentioned screen memories a couple of times. For those who are unfamiliar, what 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 is the idea of a screen memory? Well, the screen memory shows up as in pretty much any UFO abduction book, mm-hmm. and a screen memory would be a uh, uh, like the typical story would be someone driving down the road alone at night, and then they, which I have a bunch of these stories uh, cataloged in the book as well, and um, and they come upon a big owl standing in the middle of the road, and some of them can even pull their car right up to the owl, and the owl is tall enough that it can look over the hood of the car, and which is, there's no owl on earth that can do that. You can, even a big owl in a small car, can't, uh, can't, the owl can't look over the hood of the car. So um, uh, the implication is they Something else has happened. These events are often associated with some sort of missing time, right? They're driving at night. They see the owl. They get home late. They're like, why should have been home at midnight? It's 2 in the morning. This doesn't make sense. Um, later, if they go to the through hypnotic regression, the hypnotherapist will say, well, describe this owl. And they'll say, well, the owl is skinny, and it has a bald head, and it has big black eyes, and it's wearing this tight-fitting uniform, and, and I don't think that was an owl. Right. So there, there's some form of psychic projection, whether that's using um, psychic means or whether that's using technology, I don't know, but there's some sort of psychic projection that, that where the, the observer, instead of seeing the gray alien, is seeing an owl. There's other things they can see, deer, uh, uh, firemen, uh, raccoons, there's all kinds of other things that show up as screen memories, but owls and deer seem to be the highest on the list. 
So you think that with screen memories, it's a matter of something that this alien being is projecting into the person's mind more so than just that the person's mind can't comprehend what it's seeing and, and it throws up some other image to kind of fill in the gaps? Agreed, yeah. yeah that's, that's my sense, is that it's, it's a projected image rather than a, a um, protective defense mechanism within the subconscious of the person. Um, so, yes, that's my sense. Uh, I, I, uh, and part of the reason I say that is because more than one uh, researcher who, who uses hypnosis, and his, hypnosis has got, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a slippery slope to try to um, uh, defend hypnosis as a, as a be-all and end-all research tool. Um, I, so, you know, I'm cautious to, you know, how I phrase this, but, you know, the researchers will, there's been reported cases where the researchers will say that the, you know, under hypnosis, the, uh, the witness, the abductee, will say, "The uh, you know the gray aliens looked in my eyes and they say, you they would they'll project into my mind. They'll say you will not remember us as you will remember us as owls." And uh, so that has been reported a few times. So my sense, yes, that there is a it is not self generated by the abductee. It is it is generated um, from outside the observer by the by the little gray aliens. So uh, the topic that we had discussed last week, and I don't know how familiar you are with this particular case, but I'm sure you've looked into it. Uh, we talked about Mothman, and uh, and Moniz had mentioned before we went on the air earlier about, you know, Mothman was originally reported as being an owl-type creature, and and uh, there was an owl man and, and a man-like owl figure that was reported in England. Are these maybe related to that then, that these are probably just manifestations being projected by some sort of extraterrestrial creature? Well, that both the Owl Man and the Moth Man have a similar kind of vibe. Um, the flap, the 1967 flap of Owl Man, excuse me, Moth Man sightings in Port Pleasant, West Virginia, um, is is much more uh, heavy-handed, and in than the. I mean, there's a lot of cases that were reported, and a lot of weirdness that was documented in Keel's book, and then there's another book. Well, the Silver Bridge, I think, by Gray Barker. Mm-hmm. These are this case has been pretty well researched, and tons of weirdness surrounding it. Now, the uh, Owl Man event from England uh, began, I think, in 1974, and I document them a little bit in the book. Um, just touch on a few cases, and, the, and very similar in their vibe. One of the things that shows up is that there's this palpable, powerful sense of dread that is associated with the witnesses that see either Mothman or Owlman. Um, they are horrified in a way that seems as if this, this being, this owl or Mothman-like being, which both are essentially described the same way, um, uh, though, and, and it was one, so there's one interesting detail in the um, uh, Owlman sightings in England is that the the creature itself is described as being somewhat tall, um, dark and gray in appearance, and having sort of a owl-like face and wings, but very human legs. And it um, uh, with actually pincers on the feet of the legs that the, the uh, witnesses described instead of feet, more like lobster pincers, you know, lobster claws. So 
but the owl man in England, you know, like you can if you can visualize a, like an like a owl on the ground mm-hmm. wanting to take off, it'll flap its wings and then just you know start flying. This isn't what is reported. The the owl man will simply hold its wings outstretched and then levitate upward without flapping its wings in a very eerie way. That's very distressing to the witnesses. Um, both the owl man and the uh, moth man, there was a lot of associated UFO stuff, you know, at the time of these flaps. So, I mean, in the same location. It, it really seems like when you look at an owl as a creature uh, and as... You know the the just the type of and I'm talking you know earthly real uh, zoological owls. You know when you're looking at one of those and and you're seeing all of it in its glory. I mean it's a magnificent creature, but it's also a very unique creature, and it's also something that you know I know that the idea of the wise old owl is something that is a very human construct, but it is associated with a bit of an intelligence more so than any other you know any other bird, and so it seems like. Those would be a good avatar for these other beings to utilize. Not, not to mention the fact that, and you can see it in, in one of your drawings that you have as an example uh, on your website, the fact that there can be very physical similarities between these beings and these owls, in, just in terms of appearance. But they also seem to be just a good representation of them as well. Well, there's something very powerful and very eerie about an owl, no doubt. I mean, I, and my sense is that, that, you know, I recognize it, you recognize it, ancient man recognizes it. Everyone who sees an owl, I think, is struck by there's an eerie quality to them. I mean, bunny rabbits don't have that quality, you know. Um, uh, there's something about an owl that, that, you know, and it's the big eyes, and it's the, and it's the weird, eerie way that they move their heads. Um, now, the wisdom thing, that traces back to... Athena, the, the, the goddess of wisdom, yeah. um, uh, Greek mythology. So that's even today, you know, when you see a, go to an elementary school and there's a little uh, owl thumbtacked onto the Bolton board with a little graduation cap, um, that comes, that can be traced back directly to Greek mythology and Athena's companion owl. But it's, I mean, there's also a, a great deal of, uh, you know, just ma- majesty to these creatures, but also, you know, people can't really get close enough to them in the wild to really get a look at them. So they're always very elusive as well to people. Unless you go and you see, you know, in a zoo or one of these bird shows where, you know, the, the somebody will come out and be like, yeah, you want to hold the owl? And I'm always like, no. <laughs> get it away from me. It's too oh, big. I would, I've never held an owl, but I would love to. So, yeah. So. But, um, uh, you know, and I was going to, my, my gut reaction is kind of a knee-jerk kind of reaction is to say, um, unless you're a, a, you know, a UFO experiencer, where I've found that the people who've had these experiences, like these owls show up, oftentimes really close. I'm, I'm, I actually have a collection of photographs of people who've had these experiences, and they're owls, and they're just like, oh, here's this owl, it's been coming around the house, and here it is in the backyard, and... And they're like, obviously, it's on the picnic table or whatever, and they're standing just a few feet away from the owl when they're taking this picture. And this is where things get very unusual, is that these owls seem to show up with people who've had UFO contact in in the simplest form. Um, You know, people, oftentimes abductees, and this shows, this is right in the literature. Like, I didn't have to interview some people because people write their own biographies and share this stuff that they would say, you know, like, I was, um, you know, since the time of heavy contact, 
And I would come home from work, and there'd be an owl, like, on the porch, you know, or on the tree right next to the porch when I would come home. And a lot of stories of, like, the owl would be right outside my window. You know, there I was. You know, I was like, God, I've been having this weird stuff with these UFOs and this abduction stuff, and, and there's an owl that hangs out in the tree or in the bush right outside the window. Um, this is this is actually, you know, common is a hard thing to say, but, but I, there's enough reports of it that people are saying essentially the same thing. You know, they've had this UFO contact, and then the follow-up is these owls are showing up at their house. Now, Mike... I've been a personal witness to the owls being you know, close to uh, a bunch of experiences. You were there. <laughs> you want to share that experience? Well, this is the one that took place at the at the uh, the lake house. Yeah. After the um, so, <clears throat> this is interesting. So, uh, now I had given a talk on owls at the conference, and that uh, was about an hour long, and I. You know, gave basically a lot of the spiel you're getting here. I, I, I get did that, and when I arrived at the conference, um, excuse me, when I arrived at the lake house, this was uh, part of Audrey's family. It's a uh, little cabin that's quite close to a lake, and everyone hangs out there and for the next few days. And there's barbecues and just hanging out the lawn, and 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 it's a super pleasant communal you know experience. I really cherish the, the time to spend with people who, you know, I consider my peers or my comrades. I'm not sure even what the right word, but to my brethren. Family. The right word is, yeah, my family. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. So so um, I pull in, and, and uh, as soon as I kind of walk through the backyard, um, a little downy feather falls from the sky and then lands. I think it landed right at your feet. Correct. And everyone was like, oh, my God, an owl feather. And uh, I... You know, they all, uh, like, they were like, oh, my God, you got to come see this. And so, you know, and and uh, there's a woman, Suzanne Chancellor. Uh, she's okay with me using her name. Um, she um, saw an owl that afternoon, um, and she's quite a birder. She's got a pretty good bird, so I trust her when she says it was an owl. Um, fly from a little island out on the lake to, to the shore. And then uh, that night there was a a sky watch and uh, everyone was hanging out by the lakeside and um, people were, it was interesting because I was there and, and uh, you know, everyone was kind of pointing to this one spot in the sky and, and everyone is, I mean, God, like how to say this, like you get a bunch of experiences together, people who've had UFO contact and, and uh, these are, for the most part, these are psychics. People have had these experiences also tell of having psychic experiences. So you're hanging out there in the dark, and everyone's a psychic, and everyone's sort of pointing to the same spot in the sky, and they're all kind of going, yeah, it's going to be there. It's going to be right there. It's going to be there. And I had actually stepped away and didn't see it, but everyone who did see it says the same thing. Like, all of a sudden, there was this bright flash right where they all were pointing, this one sort of corner of the sky, a little low on the horizon, and I had stepped away, but I heard this resounding with, whoa, yeah. as everyone in unison saw this bright light. And I you know, ran back down there, and they all explained what they had seen. And and then later that night, and I have permission to use their names. It was Carol and Pam, just the first names. They were, um, they went back down to the lake and sat there in these chairs. It's, and this is actually, this is early autumn, and it's right at lake level, and it's, 
nighttime, and it's New England, and it's it's kind of cold and chilly. So they were just they were both kind of bitter and cold and chatting away on these little chairs, you know, little lake chairs and or you know deck chairs kind of thing, and um, and they looked at the clock, and it should have been about one in the morning. It was four thirty in the morning, and they were like, "No way, no way could we have." Partially because it was so cold and just kind of uncomfortable, they like we could not have hung out here that long. It's impossible. So they they were they were both pretty shook up, and they went back to the to their everyone's camps in these tents. So there's a big cluster of tents in the lawn, and they you know it's getting to be still dark out, and they climb into the tent, and as they're laying side by side, they say to each other like, "If this is if something happened tonight." Let's ask the owl if we are abducted. And at that moment, there's a loud, booming hoot directly above their tent. Yeah. And and then not only that, there was a follow-up, like like a branch like fell out of the tree and crashed right on top of the tent along with this hooting. And it woke a few people up. <clears throat> and and the, the guy in the next tent over, his name is Jack, his aunt's partner, Jack, he woke up when the hooting and the crash, and he, he grabbed his phone and looked at the time, and it was 4.19. I think I've got that right. Mm-hmm. Now, earlier in the day, this is where it gets so weird. This is like it's a bottomless pit. There are threads going everywhere. You pull on any little thread, it gets just gets so strange. Now, during the day, I sat with Jack, and Jack was like, you know, I'm turning into my father. Oh, my God, my father. It's like my father's here. It's like I'm my father. I hear my father's voice coming out of my mouth. I'm acting like my father. And so this whole day he was kind of like, he basically said, you know, he felt the presence of his father was there. And this owl hoots. He wakes up. He checks his clock, 419. His father had died on April 19th. Mm. And, and he recognized it immediately. Now, the owl has a bunch of symbolic meetings. One of them is a, is a messenger from the great beyond. One of them is wisdom. But owl is, is, is interlinked with death. So, so here is like a message from beyond. He's having, he's having a connection with his father all day. The owl hoots and wakes him up at 419, wakes him up, you know, which I think is, a, is another metaphor, uh, in the tent right next to him. People have a totally different experience. The owl, in my opinion, is connected to the UFO contact experience. They asked. They, they literally said, let's ask the owl if we were, if we had UFO contact, if we were abducted. And, and the owl, and this owl, which sounded like a barred owl, I played some tapes the next morning, everyone agreed it was a barred owl, which, which is the loudest owl in North America. Booming, booming, kind of, sounds like a, chimpanzee from a jungle movie um you know they asked immediately instantly they got a response um so you know this is this is this is exactly the kind of stuff that is emerging in the research this where the synchronicities just pile on top of each other one on you know the 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 the, the death synchronicity the the absolute instantaneous confirmation um, so this is a this is a very uh, I don't want I mean it's powerful and at the same time it's typical of, of the kind of stuff that is showing up in my files. 
Now, I'm, I'm taking a look as, as you're talking, Mike, uh, and we're talking with Mike Cullen about UFOs and owls, and you can call in with any questions at 508-996-0500 or 877-996-1420. I'm looking at different types of owls, and, and you know, a lot of these different breeds, these, di- uh, these different classifications of owls, they all have different facial structures, but I look immediately to a barn owl, and see a lot oh, yeah. of similarities oh, yeah. between those. Yeah. And, and it, So is there a particular type of owl that is seen in relation to, to these UFO abductees, or is it all different types of owls? You know, it's all different types. I think it's just owl. I mean, you go to England, there's, there is no uh, um, you know, great horned owl. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go to different parts of the country. Now, one thing I have, this is more coming from like a shamanic research, is that the white owl, you know, if you, if you go to your, you know, if you have a, a powerful owl experience, and you see a white owl, and you go to the to the neighborhood shaman. You know, you go to the Indian reservation and, and knock on the door of the of the shaman in the, on the reservation. Um, they, they will. So a white owl has a more of a spiritual uh, a meaning than than the typical brown owls that most owls are. You know, kind of speckled in brown or darker. But the white owl. And we only have two North American white owls, and that's the uh, uh, barn owl and the snowy owl. There's other white owls in different parts of the world, but those are the two North American ones. Um, and those, if you see a white owl, you should be looking for, and this is from a sort of shamanic or, or like totem animal, like a Native American would, would, would describe. These would have a more spiritual connotation than, than the regular owl. Um, so, and it's all over the map. I mean, I've gotten to the point now where it's like people, I mean, you know, like, uh, you're having a, conversation about ufos and as you're talking um you know the person sits down directly across from you with with uh, owl earrings on you know so these this counts i mean it's a lesser level than a real owl landing on the, on the table um but uh so yes yeah, so owls come in all shapes and sizes and and just looking at a list of some of the types that we get in massachusetts i mean here and here where we are we get a, a wide variety of Owls, including snowy owls, will come here as part of their migration. But uh, you know, barn owls are very frequently seen around here and and heard. And yeah, and heard. And and those seem to be. I mean, just when you look at them, just looking at them in the face, you look at it and immediately think, "Wow, that looks like an alien more than it looks like an owl." Yeah, a gray alien. Yeah, the, the barn owl is, is is super eerie. Um, and actually, you know, they're funny when you see them up close. And I've I've, I've never seen one in the wild. I've seen them in in. Uh, uh, there's a there's a uh, rehabilitation center near here where they they take in injured owls, and they have a handful of barn owls. And the barn owls are are they look super eerie, um, and they're also very cat like. They've got a very sweet kind of cat like nature to them. Um, so, uh, but I agree, yeah, very very spooky faces. And what is it about owls that would allow them to be? you know messengers for these i mean is is there anything about owls in general that would make it so that they would kind of lend themselves to being i don't want to say servants of these extraterrestrial beings but at least to to be there for them and, and to and to be used as their intermediaries well that's the, that's the question isn't it i mean you know what is it i mean why owls i mean that's the i can't i mean i wrote that over and over again in the book project and i would repeat that question why owls now one answer which is very tidy, and it, 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 it's a very clean answer. Like, it, once you go down this avenue, like, everything clicks in place. Now, my sense is that, um, you know, 
everyone, you know, ancient man recognized this. Owls can see in the dark. They have these great big eyes. They can fly in complete darkness through the branches, through the trees, in the forest. They're at home in the darkness. Now, that in a mythological sense, that becomes a metaphor for owls seeing into the darkness. I mean, so they, obviously they see into the darkness, but metaphorically, darkness means other realms, other mm-hmm. other territories, other dimensions, the land of the dead, the land of our ancestors, the land of the gods. So the owls, in a mythological sense, travel to these other realms. And in doing so, they have to return. So they are, they are returning from these realms. They travel to these realms, and they return to these realms, often with a message. And I, I mean, it was, I mean, I got, I mean, I have hundreds of, 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 uh, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of accounts that just arrive at my, I mean, I get one a day of a powerful owl experience arrives in my email inbox. It is maddening. I cannot keep up with it. And, and long before I titled the book, these, these accounts would come in, and people would say, well, you know, this messenger arrived on my porch. Or, you know, then I, you know, I was, I locked eyes with this owl in the woods and I received a message. It is straight up in their testimony without, I mean, they're, and they're not being flowery in how they say it. They're, they're, they're saying it plainly, straight up, that they received a message from these owls. Oftentimes these messages are, are, I mean, it's, so it's not strictly limited to the UFO contact experience, it, it it's a it's a it, it overlaps. People who've had um, take powerful hallucinogens, people on mushrooms will have owl experiences. People who have lost a loved one, especially a parent, will have owl experiences. People meditating will have owl experiences. So uh, people on shamanic initiation will have owl experiences, and then people with UFO contact will have owl experiences. So. So the, the, the mythology, right, the mythology is that owls travel to another realm, a transformative realm, but, and then they return. Now, that, this is, that's, that's death, that's UFOs. I mean, UFOs, if nothing else, are transformative experience in another realm. Uh, that is meditation. That is psychedelic drugs. So the owl seems to be the totem. Of these transformational experiences that involve travel to another realm, and that that is the archetype of the owl, and I think that is that is, and I'm speaking. I'm not a shaman, but I'm sort of putting my shaman hat on here sure. to make this, this 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 to make this argument that the owls would be the totem animal for the transformative experience. I'm not going to be referencing the CGI movie that came out, uh, you know, like seven or eight years ago about the legend of the Guardians. But owls have also been seen as kind of the guardian creatures of the night because they they stand out there and they keep watch and because they ask the question, who? And, you know, because they're out there and they're the eyes in the darkness when, you know, for the most part, we're not out there. Is it possible that these owl experiences are not, that the owls are necessarily messengers of these alien beings, but maybe they're a guardian for 
mankind. Maybe they're the the the, the guardian layer, the barrier between us and these extraterrestrial beings. Perhaps, yes, perhaps, yeah. I mean, in the same way you would, uh, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. I was going to try to. I, I, that's a, that's a very tidy and 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 nuanced way of looking at it. That that you know, guardian of these other realms. Yes, and then. I mean, like, a, I just, in a funny way, I almost feel like, you know, the ghost, you know, the dead parent can, I want to say hire, that's the wrong way to say it. You know, they could hire the owl. They could simply ask the owl to appear, like, oh, I need you to appear at my daughter's house. You know, my daughter's grieving. Can you appear at her house? And the owl would do it. I don't think it works like that way, but that's a very simple way to put it. The UFO occupant would say, hey, owl. Archetypal reasons, for important reasons, you need to hang out on that porch uh, of, of the person who we abducted last week. Um, I'm being purposely kind of provocative in the way I say this. I don't think it really plays out like that, but that is the way it happens. People meditating. Hey, that guy there sitting in the lotus position in the field, he's in a really deep state of meditation. We got it. We got to send him a message. You, I have a number of accounts. People sitting in the lotus position, sitting meditating in a field, they have this powerful meditation experience. They open their eyes, and there's an owl sitting across from them. That's, that is reported, not commonly, but, I mean, these, I'm receiving these reports. So what does that mean? What is, what's the connection between all these disparate activities and experiences? Well, if you have something, you know, uh, don't don't whisper, Moniz. Okay. You're on the radio. No, uh, I I wanted to get his take on the experiences that uh, were happening in Nome, Alaska, where there was a big cluster of people talking about seeing, you know, this owl, and it wound up being a very big abduction case. Now you're talking about the movie The Fourth Kind. Well, yeah, the I, I'm talking about the original actual events that happened. Not, what spook, you know, started the movie. Okay, so, so you're breaking up a little bit, but um, the, so the movie The Fourth Kind is a fiction movie, and they 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 invented this uh, fictional character. I, I you know I'm actually not sure if it took if there's like a, a there is a there is a, a original basis to it. I remember it. Back in the uh, mid '90s, one of the things I was talking Bud about, and it was it was interesting. There was a cluster, yeah, but, of pro- the, but the story itself has been fictionalized, and there's a fictional character, right? The, and the I'm movie all is for, been fictionalized, like a, like a publicity stunt by by you know filmmakers because it was treated as a true story with like with uh, like uh, archived uh, footage of of people being hypnotized, stuff like that. So. Um, I'm talking about the original uh, reports in the 90s. And I don't know about that. Oh, okay. Um, but but, but I mean, that, that's owls. what spurred the movie, uh, yeah. as far as I know. Yeah, and, and I mean, owls certainly do show up in clusters. And I don't know the original event, so, but the owls certainly show up in clusters. In, and there's some crazy stories, and I think it was like in Wisconsin, where these great gray owls, like thousands of them showed up. At this one point in in a farmer's field, um, and no one knows quite why they come and all roost together like that. Is there a, a connection though between you know those who have seen the owls and, and now that you've been going to conventions and talking with other people and collecting these stories and collecting these reports? 
are there other connections between these abductees and experiencers who have had the owl sightings? Do you find other similar similarities between them in their lives? Because, you know, like Moniz, you've done a lot of uh, research into abductees who have connections on Earth, and it comes to find out they were kind of together when they were abducted right. and they're brought yeah. together on Earth. Is there any kind of other similarities between them besides just having these owl experiences? Do they find out, you know, hey, wait a minute, we both might have been here at the same time or, you know, other little things like that, other synchronicities that tie them together beyond just both seeing owls and both being experiencers? Well, the answer, the short answer to that is absolutely yes. And, and it gets a little, it gets a little, I mean, it's, so one thing that I have found, not 100%, but it is like ridiculous how many people who've had UFO contact and owls are also Reiki therapists. I just, you know, when I talk to people on the phone, I just get it. I just, I just write it on the page, you know, and then I just like, oh, and we're having this conversation. And I'm talking about your experiences and seeing the owl and the UFOs. And, and then I just say, so what are, what are you doing for work? And they're like, well, I'm a Reiki therapist. And it is, it is it's shocking. Um, so that alone, I don't have an answer. So Reiki therapy is, well, is a hands-off form of energy healing uh, where people don't necessarily need to touch you. They can just put their hands near you. And, and that and shocks me, both, both the women in the... In, okay, this is very interesting. So the two women in the tent that heard the owl are both Reiki therapists, Reiki masters. There's a level three, we refer to as Reiki master at that level. Jack in the tent next to him, who heard the owl, is a Reiki master. This is, I mean, I, it's, it, I can't even, so that one baffles me. I mean, it's wonderful, right? It's so, it's a psychic energy skill where you're channeling energy from the universe, chi energy. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to so, look over at our, our resident Reiki master, Stephanie, my co-host, is, uh, is a Reiki master and a teacher, and... Also wants nothing to do with aliens. I'm just going to put that out there. She probably didn't even want to come in tonight just because she's terrified of the topic. But do you see a, a correlation there yourself, Stephanie, knowing what you know about Reiki? Why um, there would be a correlation there? Why there would be? I think, um, well, what I teach in my courses, um, especially with Reiki 1, is if you're going to get an attunement to Reiki, you have to be open to having more psychic experiences. It literally does open up your ability to be able to be aware of the universe around you. Um, and I've had my students come back and tell me, you know, I, I tell them all the time, because I describe what I do, obviously, being a psychic medium, um, and I tell them, don't worry, you know, if you're here just for the Reiki itself, you, you're you not going to leave here seeing dead people as soon as you walk out the door, but you'll become increasingly aware more and more. And I tell them, you know, going from nothing to Reiki 1 is like being a 50-watt light bulb to 150. Reiki 1 to Reiki 2 is 150 to 500. Reiki 2 to Reiki 3, 500 to, you know, 1,500. Holy crap, what's your so, light bulb like? Right. So, but the energy itself, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And the deeper that you go down into it, it's a complete lifestyle change. Um, your life completely changes when going into Reiki in a positive way, but you do become more psychically aware. So I've had a lot of my students end up taking psychic development courses afterwards because they want to delve deeper into that. So, um, so that eye opening kind of makes them more susceptible to these types of yes. interactions. I, I would assume so. And I was just telling somebody in the, the chat room, every single animal um, even dating back to the Native Americans, had symbolism. You know, you have your totems and things like that, but you should be aware of the things that happen around you. Every little thing that happens is a sign. You just usually brush it off as everyday happening. So, um, 
I kind of think that way already, but the fact that, you know, you're describing Reiki masters being down that, far enough down that path to be aware of everything, it's really interesting. So she's got the ground covered, Mike. She's she's a Reiki master. She lives in the woods where there's owls. So it's just, she's going to get abducted tonight. That's (laughs) not necessarily going to be abducted. There's a kind of a gray zone where I think people can have these experiences without like being taken on board the craft. I mean, I think people can have these powerful synchronicities. And it's a really, like, it's kind of a, like, I, mean, I think we live in this kind of black or white world where we, we watch late-night TV documentaries where people get abducted and, you know, scary music and kind of corny recreations and, and, and stuff. And so we have this, you know, textbook idea of what UFO abduction means. And I think there is a a, a lower rung on the totem pole than that sort of, ex, or excuse me, lower rung on the ladder, excuse me, um, and that uh, more exploitative version. Uh, the uh, and so yeah, you know, so so you might not get abducted, but you might have psychic experiences. You might have powerful synchronicities. You might have a heightened awareness. You might have a newfound uh, intuition, um, and you might be your life. Your life might be changed. Um, and the term spiritual awakening is as good a term as any for like what. Mm-hmm. Some people, not everyone, have been through in connection with both UFOs and owls. And so, as a sort of thought experiment in the in the in the in the book project, I treated UFOs, synchronicities, and owls all as the same thing. Um, I mean, I feel that each. I mean, I have talked to people who said, "Oh my God, I was my life was in turmoil, and I was you know a mess, and I." needed a sign and I went and walked in the woods and I, and I locked eyes with this owl and then, you know, it became clear and then it was, I had this spiritual, you know, awakening, you know, at the hands of this owl. That, that, you know, so I have those reports. I have the same kind of reports with people having UFO contact. I have those same kind of reports with people who have a powerful, powerful synchronicity that they can't deny. So they, obviously, owls, synchronicity and UFOs are all different but they all have that transformative power and how i mean we've, we've talked a bit about your own experiences and and your own interactions uh with with these beings but how how extreme has your personal interactions become with with these beings for me mm-hmm. well you know like i so there's one it's a story it takes about a half hour 45 minutes to tell and it is. We, we have nine question. minutes, so. <laughs> just oh, wait, we're not going to get the whole story down. So, so anyway, this long, complicated story. It's just like it, it. It. It was. It was. I was forced to play detective. I had all these strange, disparate, disconnected events, and um, one of them was lying awake on a on a starry night in southern Utah, and looking at this what I thought was a round house on a hilltop huge. It was 1.6 miles away, and for me to see it so clearly, desert air and stuff like that, that part of the country, uh, and it, it was, you know, it was it must have been enormous. I didn't know it at the time, how far away it was. I've since gone back to that exact spot. There is no house on that hilltop. I watched it, stared at it, looked at it, meditated over it, mused on it for an hour. And I thought, that's just a house up there. It looks just like a landed flying saucer, but I guess it's just a house. There was so many synchronicities associated with that event. Like mind, it, 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 
it, there were so many synchronicities that it changed the direction of my life. It confirmed to me that something very real has gone on and intersected with my life. And now I am, for better or for worse, uh, if you want to be, if you want to go broke, here's my, here's my instructions. If you want to go completely broke, you become a UFO researcher. Um, and, and, uh, so, uh, yes, it's been ridiculous as far as like, you know, why I would follow this path. I do not know, but it is the path I am on. Well, I mean, I guess though. I don't know if I answered your question. Sorry about that. I kind of well, got lost in my little. I was just saying, though, sometimes it, it becomes it's 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 a calling, you know. And and we've had plenty of people on the show here. We, you know, we've talked with the Starborn Twins in the past, and you know, some people have to go through these things themselves because they're meant to be here and and have the ability to help others that go through that as well. And I always think that it's interesting when somebody's own experiences. Can, if it was me, I think I'd probably, you know, curl up in a ball and pretend like it didn't happen. But for other people... Well, that only see- lasts so long, yeah. <laughs> and and you, you can either pull that off or you can't. And I think that, that I certainly tried that for a while, and it, it didn't work. Um, eventually, uh, you know, the, 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 the pressure valve, you know, popped, basically. Well, it seems like you've kind of transitioned into the into the role now of not only being open about it, but also helping others and also, you know, you're collecting their stories, helping them kind of come to terms with what happened to them. Is that something that you kind of see is what you want to keep doing going forward? You know, in addition to solving this mystery and figuring out why owls, you also want to try to figure out why these people are experiencing the owls in particular. Well, I think I'm, I'm at the point now where I've, I don't ever expect to solve it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so, so, um, and I'm also like, how to say this? Like, I have a like, I love the mysterious, like a mysterious story, right? A campfire story, like an open-ended story, like a Zen Cohen that can't be solved. I'm at peace with that, right? That I'm at peace with this is never going to get solved. What I do, I am fascinated by, is the depth of these stories, the complexity, the emotional power of these stories. So that. That's what's got me drawn. And then, yes, I, I contact people all the time. I talk to people all the time. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm stuck on email all the time, trying to answer questions, trying to help folks out. I'm not a therapist. So I, I'm not really like in a place where I can, you know, you know, solve people's things. But I certainly, I certainly think that the that the family aspect of the of of, of talking with these folks who's had these shared experiences is something that is essential and, and important and vital. Well, thank you for doing what it is that you are doing, and uh, and we hope to talk to you again in the future and keep us up to date with all of your work and your research. Uh, again, if people want to go to Mike's website, you can go to hiddenexperience.blogspot.com or just go to mikeclellan.com. We have them linked up on spookysouthcoast.com, and you can also go there and you can pick up his book, The Messengers, as well. Uh, Mike, it's been a fascinating discussion. I'm afraid to go home now and face the owl that's in the tree by my front door. But uh, so far, you know, he's kept his distance. So I'm sure right as I'm putting the key in the door tonight, I'll hear that and like, kind of freak out a little bit. I, You know what? I, I'm careful what I say. I had one fellow uh, did an interview with me and had never seen an owl before. And as he was leaving the studio, an owl flew right above his head. <laughs> See, I, I hear them all the time, so I'm, I mean, I'm used to them being around. 
I think I think owls are pretty badass anyway. So like I don't yeah. I don't mind seeing them, but I'm going to second guess when I'm looking at them now, especially if it's a barn owl. Wait, what's that face that I'm seeing? So, but thank you for uh, for all the information and for a great discussion. Thanks so much. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. That is Mike Cleland. Again, go to his website, MikeClelland.com. Uh, and, you know, Moniz, we've been talking about having him on for a while, and, and we knew it was going to be a fascinating discussion, and it certainly was. Uh, he's a very fascinating guy, very good writer, and uh, I saw his lecture a couple of times. He, he really does go in-depth, and the stories talk about the, the house on the hill. Uh, seeing that in his lecture with the, the amount of work he put into documenting what he saw, which is incredible. And T Rex in the webs uh, in the chat room just said that uh, that Mike looks a little bit like Dr. Wayne Dyer, and he does. He does kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah. So, and Stephanie, you made it through a whole UFO related show without freaking out and leaving the room. I did. You so, should be proud. We are. See, we'll we'll catch you to open up a little bit more and talk about it. I don't know it. about that. <laughs> well, let's let's not push it. This is just this is just learning at a distance. It's mm-hmm. not like we're sending you up on a craft to go see what happens. Listen, you're just learning. I've already learned the hard way not to ask questions. So well, I'm I'm sitting here in my corner and I'm behaving myself and hoping that we don't run into any owls when we leave here. Just be thankful that you saw the mouse crossing the street and didn't see the owl swoop down and pick up the yeah, mouse. Yeah, I thought about that afterwards. That would have really freaked you out. Hey, anything can happen. Weird things have happened to me on my way home from here, always. That's true. Like the deer that ran down the middle of the road. So, If anybody out there has an owl experience or a UFO experience or any experience that they want to share with us, or just to get in touch with us with any questions or anything, you can email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, at SpookySC. We're also on Instagram. We're on, we're everywhere. Wherever you can find weirdness on social media, <laughs> Spooky South Coast will be there. And, uh, and you can also check out all of our past episodes. You can download the podcast. We are working with HipCast to try to solve the problem. I sent them another email just to try and get everything in line so that we can upload the couple of episodes that were backed up. Because we want to make sure we keep everything in the right numerical order and keep everything rolling the correct way. But if you've been missing the last few episodes, you can certainly get them right off the YouTube channel. Matt Cossett does a fantastic job all week long of putting videos up there for you to check out. So always keep an eye on that, which you can always get to right from SpookySouthCoast.com. And next week we will not be here live because we'll be at an event at Lizzie Borden's, but we'll be back the week after with a live show. We're going to try and come up with something for you pre-recorded in the meantime, but... There's probably 400 and something episodes you haven't heard yet, so you can always go back and roll through the archives. As we roll toward episode 500, it's coming up soon, and uh, we will definitely plan something cool for that. So until next time, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Chris, I'm Tim. Stay spooktacular.